Good morning. Welcome to the Father's Heart with Tom Clark, better known as Papa Tom. Good morning. This is Papa Tom at the Father's Heart Talk Show. And I have with me today the founder of Cornelius Mother Productions, and he's a producer of a movie called Making Him Famous. And Cornelius is a son of North Carolina. He's a resident here. And uh, through a mutual connection, uh, Stu Epperson Jr. from Tooth Network, uh, we were connected. And uh, we've had some time to share some things on the phone. And we, we found out some interesting connections, which we'll bring out in this, in this uh, broadcast show. But there's things in the Father's heart that I found in Cornelius's heart. And there are things that he's doing that God has gripped his heart. And he would like to share things with our audience about what God's doing in his life with him and his family and, and uh, through him uh, in the community and throughout the, throughout the country through this movie. It's going to be released in a couple of weeks. So with that in mind, uh, Cornelius, can you share with the audience a little bit of background? Tell the audience about yourself. Hey, thank you so much, Papa Tom, for having me on the Father's Heart Talk Show. I really appreciate it. I, don't, I never take these uh, opportunities for granted. Um, sometimes uh, when we speak, thank you sounds just so cliche, what have you, but it, it, it's beyond thank you because I know uh, it's certainly a blessing. Um, so I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York, uh, came to North Carolina, grew up in Brooklyn, New York in the uh, 70s. Early, I was born in 1970, grew up, I would say, in the early 80s in the inner city. When here in North Carolina, when I talk to folks about the inner city, I don't think they can really conceptualize the ghetto of New York City. So I came, I grew up in the heart of the crack epidemic. In fact, back in the 80s, one of the uh, local basketball parks that I would go play in, uh, at the time, Mayor David Dinkins flew in, in a helicopter because the drug epidemic was so crazy. Mm-hmm. And when you're growing up in those environments in the uh, early 80s in the inner city like that, you don't know any better. I mean, that's just just a way of life. So I grew up uh, single single home, parents were divorced. Uh, I think my parents may have gotten divorced, you know, five, six years old, somewhere in there, what have you. But my dad was very present in my life. And that was very important because most of the inner city kids um, didn't didn't they, have a dad. In they fact, don't have dads, right? they don't have dads. In yeah. fact, I remember my dad would collect some of the other guys on, you know, we call them on the block. That was the term in the city yeah. on the block or that's just one corner to the next corner and take some of the kids. to you know, Coney Island, which is a, a famous um, amusement park or what have you, you probably familiar with it. Uh, Nathan's hot dogs, uh, Coney Island. So grew up during that time um, in basketball was, was my out. I uh, went to a, a middle school and so happened that, uh, the PE teacher, who was a female, um, and to this day, Papa Tom, she is the only female baseball coach in New York City for a boys' high school team. But at the time, she coached middle school basketball. So she taught me how to play the game of basketball, um, uh, took me to uh, one of the premier AAU travel teams in the country, uh, New York City Gauchos and then Riverside Church. Uh, so happened, you know, I made the team, wasn't very good at the time, but she taught me how to play. And that was my my way out of the city. Um, so I grew up playing basketball and was fortunate to go to a, a private school because of the travel team. Back then, I think the tuition was $4,000. It doesn't sound like a lot right now, but $4,000 a year. High school back in 1984 was probably equivalent to $20,000 a year now. Sure. Um, so my travel team, they paid, you know, afforded me the opportunity to get a great education and a great school. And, that you know, that was my upbringing in the city of New York uh, in the 80s. A question for you, Cornelius. Is your, was your father involved in your life with respect to sports in any way besides his coach? Uh, actually, he didn't coach me. He was involved from the standpoint that he showed up to every game. Mm-hmm. Um, he chauffeured me to and from a lot of the games. Um, now travel ball and 
all sports, it seemed like it's a little bit more magnified now. You know, we play one or two games a day on the weekends, what have you. So he's very much involved. He lived within walking distance uh, to where my mom and my brother and I lived or what have you. Mm -hmm. So he was very much involved. In fact, um, again, because nobody else had dads in the inner city, mm -hmm. you know, I never looked at him as being an absent dad or my parents being divorced because he was always around. Mm -hmm. That's very healthy for your upbringing. Oh, yeah. Oh, of, yeah. Good, good dude, too. Yeah. Yep. And he was a good dude. My dad was a good dude. Is he still alive? He is. He is. And and now, so growing up, uh, I grew up, you know, I grew up going to church. I went to, at the time, it was probably considered a mega church, even though maybe three, four hundred people back then. Bible Way, Bishop Huey L. Rogers, Papa Tom, when I say Pentecostal, shouting, wigs falling off, teeth falling out the mouth, that kind of Sunday morning when that organ got going. <laughs> but, my, but my dad, um, he was always, quote, unquote, a spiritual person. In fact, um, he would read the Bible. He would read the Koran. He, he would not uh, profess to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But lo and behold, probably about 10 years ago, he started to watch Joel Osteen hmm. out of out of all the, uh, you know, uh, possibilities. Great, great, yeah, possibilities. And now he's a follower of Christ. Wow. Yeah. 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 Was it your father who named you Cornelius? I believe it was my mother. Um, in fact, my mother, she carried my brother and I to church every Sunday. Mm -hmm. You hope in the New York City, I don't know if you've been to the city. Well, actually, I know you've been to the city because you say your son played at Xavier High School. Mm -hmm. um, blizzards, everything still runs, trains, buses. And yeah. for those folks that don't know here in North Carolina, they call for two inches. Everything shuts down. Everybody's going to get every, you know, every loaf of bread and egg and carton of milk or whatever in new york city is not that way it, two feet of snow buses are still running so mm -hmm. we would hope that the bus would be late so late that by the time they picked us up it'd be no way for us to get to church so i grew up going to church my mother was a, a devout christian and she's the one that named me um I, I, legend has it is that she got the name out of the bible did she know what the name meant if i ask her today she probably doesn't know what the name means out of time you know, Cornelius was the first Gentile believer. He was he was a Roman centurion that he, an angel appeared to him and uh, told him to go uh, meet Peter. And Peter didn't want to deal with him at the time because he wasn't a Jew. But mm. uh, he's the known as the first Gentile believer. And as I told you uh, how important words are, and in my children's book, yes. Papa Tom's Tales, uh, the first book is about identity, and the most important thing you start with is your name. So I asked you what your name was, and you didn't remember, which is fine, as most people do. <laughs> and I told you, I, that's why I looked it up, and it means horn, H-O-R-N, horn, like like a trumpet or a shofar. In the, in yes. the uh, scripture, they'd use a, a shofar or a trumpet. So a person who had a horn is somebody who is declaring something and announcing something. Uh, the horns were used very often in, field, in battle. The shofars were used to declare victory, or even before victory, to, to sh the shofars were played to bring about victory. So they're, they're very much used instrumentally uh, to announce things and declare things, to use a horn. And in many ways, with this movie we're going to talk about here in a few minutes, uh, God's using you as a horn to announce something and present something in media. And you never, you never knew your name meant that, but it's, it, it seems like it fits, doesn't it? It, it? it does. And now as you're speaking of it, do you know, Tom, in middle school, I played the trumpet. Not oh. very good. I remember playing the the MASH. You remember that TV show, MASH? Yeah. Um, it was the, uh, I played it for my eighth grade graduation. 
and I actually doing COVID right before COVID, uh, local, you know, little local mom and pop used instrument place here. I actually went and bought another horn thinking I could still play it and mm. I can't play it, but it's ironic that that's what my name meant. Yeah. And I played the horn as a middle schooler. Yeah. So, as I told you before, I'm somewhat familiar with Brooklyn because I was born in Brooklyn in 1952. And, uh, and uh, I was only lived there for, my parents lived there for three years and they moved out to Long Island. So I lived in a place called Farmingdale, but then they sent me to Chaminade High School in Mineola. Yeah. And Chaminade High School is the CHSAA and it yep. was one of the schools that you told me your school played for. And then yeah. later, many, many years later, I sent... Um, uh, one of my sons, my fifth child, Jonathan, to New York City uh, <coughs> to, li to live with his older brother. And he lived in Manhattan uh, and went to Xavier. And his junior year in high school, he became, just for one year he was there, he was all New York City running back, so he was quite a good athlete. So we're going to have to bring this segment to a close here for a moment. But we'll continue on with our conversation with Cornelius Muller, who's going to be the producer of Making Him Famous. Take care. We'll be back in a moment. Hello, we're back again with Cornelius. Cornelius Muller, the producer of Making Him Famous. And we have a question, Cornelius, because we've covered some of the background we have. We both have some familiarity with Brooklyn, New York, and uh, with different private high schools and uh, in that New York City area. And uh, there was things that happened in Cornelius's life as he grew older, and he graduated from high school and got involved with basketball as part of his life. But what affected you, Cornelius, uh, in your life, earlier in your life, that brought you to the point that motivated you to produce the film, making him famous? I think um, what affected me, uh, when I first got into the arts, uh, Tom, the first truth be told, I wanted to be rich and famous. Um, in 1988, coming out of the city, as I mentioned, playing basketball, I was voted uh, Newsday, New York, Brooklyn play of the year. So I was top five, top six in high school. So it was almost expected for me to play basketball or what have you. But when things fell apart, probably chose the wrong university. But they say God has a plan, you know, through it all anyway. He knew before the end, of, you know, from the beginning of time. So when basketball fell apart, I said I want to be an actor because it sounded like the next best thing. I mean, I, I wasn't smart enough to go to med school. I wasn't smart enough to go, you know, to law school. So I said I want to be an actor because how do you give up um, opportunities to play professional basketball? Because at that time, when I got graduated from college, I did have some opportunities to play internationally, what have you, FIBA, Foreign International Basketball Association. Um, for those that don't know, some that who watch basketball see these foreigners that play in the NBA. They played over there. But anyway, man, long story short, um, probably already a long story. So – I decided I want to be an actor. And then lo and behold, during my journey, um, I had been praying, God, how can you use me in the arts? Mm -hmm. And a tragic, tragic situation happened. My brother um, killed his girlfriend mm -hmm. and then he killed himself. Wow. And, and Tom, when I say there were 13, 13 uh, brothers keeper that, that said brother's keeper uh, opening a book on a random page. Something says brother's keeper, 13 different things. People say, God doesn't speak. God does speak. He may not. I've never heard the, uh, you audible know, voice. audible voice of God, but he spoke to me during the, that time. And so at that time um, I wrote my first short film 
titled Brothers Keeper, uh, a story of ultimate love, faith, and forgiveness about uh, two brothers. For example, my brother takes the life of your sister. How do you and I, Tom, keep our friendship going? Hmm. And the response we got um, from the local community, I knew right then and there that was my entry to filmmaking. Hmm. You know, uh, I got to tell you a funny story before we get into something more serious. And that was uh, my oldest son went to DeMatha High School and he played for Morgan Wooten. In fact, oh, yeah. he had a scholarship there to high school for a small scholarship, partial scholarship. And uh, Morgan Wooten actually recruited him for the basketball team. He also played football there. And Morgan Wooten told us a story one time about uh, a mother. Uh, uh, well, he, he's obviously the one who chooses people to be on his team. And he had to cut one of the players. So um, he tries to do it kindly and let people down a little bit easy. So he invited the mother into the office and said, you I'm really sorry, Mrs. Smith, that's not a real name. Uh, I have to, um, I'm not going to be able to carry a son on our team. We only have 14 players. And <clears throat> I just had to make the decision not to play him. So Mrs. Smith says to Morgan Wooten, she says, Coach, Coach, no worries, no worries. I just have one question to ask you. Will it affect his ability to make the NBA? <laughs> That's a true story. Yeah, she, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I can, I can, I can see that happening. I can see that happening. Yeah. So it's like, uh, you know, total like sort of expectations and illusions, you know, sort of combined there to be in that case. You mentioned the word brother's keeper, and the first time that struck me that where that word came from, uh, first origin or first mention of that in scripture. Uh, it was obviously Cain and Abel, right? Right. And it's the book of Genesis. So it goes way, way yep. back to that. So yep. when God spoke to you, he kept seeing, you know, brothers keep it, brothers keep it. What did that mean to you? How did you feel when you, when you, when you heard that word? What was God trying to say to you? Well, it, brothers keeper, um, you know, at the time when I first made the film, I wasn't necessarily relating it to, you know, that story in Genesis. However, my brother and I, we uh, grew up very, very close, a uh, year apart in age, what have you. Um, I had a, a great uh, high school education from one of the premier, you know, Catholic schools in New York City, then went on to college, got a college education. Unlike my brother, my brother had an eighth grade education. Mm -hmm. So I felt as if my relationship with him, though we were very different, um, he would be considered, I say, maybe a street guy, what have you. Mm -hmm. A good guy at the at the heart level, but a street guy. So I, even though he was older, I felt as if I always had to worry about him. Or I was always trying to keep him together, keep him up or what have you. Um, so that's what that meant. And even during the, the, the crime, the crime time, um, my brother went on a run before he took his life. And him and I were so close, I knew he was going to take a life. In fact, I had an opportunity to speak to him um, while he was on the run. So brother's keeper. So I had a choice, Tom. Do I call the authorities? And, you know, at the time, I didn't exactly know where he was. I had an idea. Mm -hmm. Do I call the authorities and let them know I spoke to my brother? Even though at the time he was on the run, I knew, as, as, as I'm saying it right now, that he would inevitably take his own life. I knew there was no way he was going to go to jail. Mm -hmm. Or do I, do I call him in? Or do I let him take his life on his own? You're talking about a mm. choice, brother's keeper, mm. or trying to, I mean, it was, I can't even explain that. Sure. So even up to his last days, I felt like I was trying to keep him or protect him or, you know, it's, yeah. 
or when the law, I mean, I clearly see the connection between brother's keeper and your relationship with your own brother. And I don't know if the story Cain and Abel doesn't really apply in what happened there, but it does directly apply to your relationship with your older brother as you describe yep. it. Uh, and you said that you knew that he was going to take his own life because uh -huh. he, he wouldn't go to jail. Uh-uh. And that, mm -hmm. you know, if the choice was between going to jail or committing suicide or taking his own life, he would take his own life. Right? Yeah. And I knew, I knew if he would have gone to jail, he would have, he would definitely done it there. So it's one of those, do I let him do it on his own terms? Yeah. He never spoke to me about it, but I knew in my heart that that's, that was the, that was it. He never said it. I just knew it. And mm -hmm. so do I let him do it in jail or just let him kind of, you know, deal with his, you know, the choice of on his own. And inevitably, that's what happened. Well, what do you think drove him to kill? Was it his girlfriend or his wife? It was his girlfriend. Um, I think, you know, based, based on the conversation, one of the conversations, the only conversation I had with him at the time is that um, my brother to, to a, and, and let me make this clear, I'm certainly not justifying his behavior or anything like that because it, it, it don't get any worse than that. You, you know, you're talking about a family, uh, two families that are forever be affected. You know, she had a young child mm -hmm. that didn't get a chance to see his, uh, his, you know, uh, his mom, you know, or what have you, as he's growing up, what have you. Was he the father but, of that baby, by the way? He was not the father of the baby. However, he was very present in the child's life. I got you. As far as helping her uh, financially, being, you know, as present as he possibly could under the circumstances, what have you. Um I, I want to say my brother, because in his mind, he, with the exception of growing up as a street kid, as he gotten older, he felt, I believe he felt that he checked all the boxes, he made all the right decisions, and he was always getting the short end of the stick. I don't think his intent, you know, was, you know, this is just my, my, my opinion on it, to, to cause harm. Well, God, he, 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 he took her life. Um, he just felt. You know, for all the things he was doing, checking all the boxes, and he always ended up with the short end of the stick. And in this situation, that wasn't going to happen. Mm -hmm. That's just my take on it, based on limited conversation. Mm -hmm. So, um, what approximately what year did this happen? This happened, Tom. Um, three. This happened now, fourteen years ago, June. Thirteen years ago, I believe, June. 13, June 14, 13 years ago. So that um, wasn't that far back. It's talking no. about 2010. Yeah, yeah. And was this in the Brooklyn, New York area? No, this this was here in North Carolina. Oh, I see. Yeah, North Carolina, which which was even magnified because, you know, unfortunately in the, in the society we live in, you know, African-American man takes the life of a young Caucasian female. Just, a, just she could have been any you know, any race, but just, it's just magnified. It just, just a mess. Mm -hmm. just, and, and sadly, you know, my, my parents brought us my, well, my mom brought us up in church. We were in church every Sunday and we were brought up to love people, love God. So you're talking about shock factor for us as well. Not just the shock factor, but the hurt and the, it's just, just awful. Mm -hmm. That's an understatement. Was he a Christian? Yeah. Yeah. It professed to be. Mm -hmm. In fact, um, when I went to his apartment after it happened, because I knew once it happened, I was on my way to work. A cousin of mine that we grew up with in New York City, she happened to live in the Durham area, North Carolina as well. She called me on the way to work and she said her sister, both of them that grew up in the same household, three, you know, three family house in New York City. My great grandmother raised them. She said she saw on the news this morning that 
um, my brother's name, Joseph Demetrius Muller, was on a run and for potential homicide. And she said, I remember she asked me, how many Joseph Demetrius Mullers could there be in the world? Mm-hmm. And my heart just sank. So at that time, I tried to call him, you know, a ton of times, couldn't get him on the phone. It may even gone to voicemail or what have you. Um, but it, it was just, it was, it was horrific. Uh, again, you know, we grew up in church to love God, love people. So that just really, I mean, you're talking about take the wind out of your sails. Mm-hmm. Mm. You know, yeah. I, I had a, was introduced to a story in, through Promise Keepers where uh, we went to a fundraising dinner uh, in uh, RFK Stadium where they had a Promise mm-hmm. Keeper event and they had a police uh, captain, uh, sergeant, I think it was captain, he was an officer in the police department in D.C. running to see the boys club and he managed the football team and his son and his son's best friend uh, were very good football players and we had some interactions with them through the uh, the Metro Bowl, we used to play DMV, District of Columbia, Maryland, Virginia. And uh, the father's son, when they got a little older, when he was like 14, we knew them, and then we got 15. At 15 years old, um, he killed his the policeman's son. Mm. The best friend of his son killed him. And the wow. police officer knew that was there. And that he went to the boy and he said, I, I want you to let you know something. I forgive you. Wow. I want to let you know, you don't have a father, and you never had a father. And I, I want you to be willing to let me be your father, and you can be my son, because I don't have a son anymore. Wow. It's the love of God being expressed right there. Only Jesus Christ. Only Jesus Christ. To answer your question, Tom, as far as, so when, when I went to his apartment after the crime was committed, he had all the spiritual can material. Can I hold you there one second? We'll get back to sure. this, what happened in his apartment when you got back in another minute. What a, a tragic event happens that you just describing about your brother uh, killing himself, taking his own life, and having killed his girlfriend, and how much emotionally you must have been feeling what's going on. You started to mention to us that you went to his apartment. Tell our audience what happened when you went to your brother's apartment, and what did you find when you went there? When I, when I went to his apartment, I called the, yeah, the police department, the local police department, told him that I was his brother, what have you. And because I knew how, I knew his way of thinking. I just knew he was already in the apartment expired or had already taken his own life. I knew he would never take somebody's life and then decide to try to live and go, you know, go to jail, anything like that. So the, the department was pristine, clean. When you, you know, we grew up poor, we grew up, you know, public assistance. And one thing my dad always told us is that just because we grew up poor didn't mean that we had to, to look the part. So we grew up pretty neat freaks, for lack of better words. And I saw all the Christian materials that my mother sent him because everything she sent me, she sent him. Mm-hmm. And I can tell that he read a lot of the stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, he wasn't at the time going to church often, to my knowledge. I think he had been to church, you know, a handful of times over the years or what have you. But, but you know, he was a believer. Um, and and, and, I, and I, that sounds really crazy. Um to most folks, that how do you call yourself a believer and you take somebody's life? True, I, I can't. I can't answer that. But but he had all the materials there. He knew the Lord. Um, you know, my 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 hope my hope is that I'll see him again because I'm planning on going to I'm I'm planning on going to heaven. I'm hoping he'll be there. Um, but only only God knows that. So one of the if you think of religion, and you think of religion that talks about works, right? 
yep. and you get into heaven by works, if you could get into heaven by works, which scripturally speaking you can't, then uh, if you commit murder and take your own life, how can you get to heaven? That's a good question. Right? And the thing is, you can't, but you can't get into heaven because it works anyway. It's only yeah. by grace, it's only by grace that any of us have that kind of a relationship with, with God. And it's what Jesus did for us on the cross that oh, gave yeah. us that. So to the, I completely can conceive and, and understand how your brother could be, a, uh, if he was a believer and had a relationship with the Lord, could very well be in heaven, even though he committed these acts. Yeah. You know, the, you know, our example would be David, King David. Oh, man. Right? He, he committed adultery, had the cover-up. He had Uriah, who was Bathsheba's uh, husband, uh, killed. In a sense, he committed murder. He didn't do it to himself with his own hands, but he arranged for it. It was arranged. Yeah. And uh, he was responsible for her murder. Yeah. And yet God said, yeah. he's a man of my own heart. Yeah. David has always, that's why David has always given me hope. I'm thinking if David, you know, a, guy, a man after God's own heart, he's in the upper room, there's hope for me, Tom. There's hope for all of us. Yeah. <laughs> so how did this event that happened in 2010, about two years ago, was a predecessor for the Brothers Keeper and for you moving from being acting into media and, and becoming a movie producer? It was the first time. So one of the so I had an opportunity to have a conversation with him um, while he was on the run. One conversation, maybe two. Let me take it back. Maybe two conversations, and we're on the phone reminiscing about childhood. We're crying and crying and laughing. And in my spirit, I know this is the last time I'll ever talk to my brother. And it was. And I remember him saying that all the money in the world would not bring her back. And it really dawned on me at that time, you know, I grew up poor and my dad would always drive me down Fifth Avenue, Madison Avenue, Park Avenue. And I grew up because when you're poor, uh, I didn't know I was poor until I went to high school. And I'll, we'll talk about that another time about eating chicken breast. The lady asked me what kind of chicken you eat. I didn't even know what chicken breast was because we ate chicken gizzards, chicken back, chicken butt, anything but <laughs> boneless breast. But anyway, so so he said no amount of money the world would bring her back. And right there. You know, I'm going to use the cliche word, uh, aha moment. And I realized that money is not the end all be all. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. um, having a little change in my pocket feels a whole lot better than not having any change in my pocket. Mm -hmm. But that just really dawned on me that it, it has to be more to it than just the, the fame and the fortune in, in which I was striving for. I want to be rich and famous. So at that time, I, I really believed that God was calling me to point people to him through media um, and or to get to know Christ through media, more so of a heart of service. Um, and and it, it, me saying that almost sounds like I'm trying to work for God, allow my works for him to approve me, but that's not where it's coming from. It's coming from, we, we, we leave it, we, we, we're all leaving here. One out of one person that was born is we're dying. And what, you know, what's my legacy? You know, and it's really to point people to Christ, to, to make this world better than how I found it. What was it that, from your knowledge of what happened, what was it that motivated or caused your brother to kill his girlfriend? Um, very faithful, loyal guy. Um, I wish I could have said the same thing growing up. He was always faithful and loyal to every, you know, girlfriend he had. And I think based on the, the the conversation that her aunt had with him, she had actually more conversation with him while he was on the run than I did, that it was one of those, you know, he felt he 
was taking care of her child. She was seeing somebody on the side. And I think, I think just, you know, there's a show out there called Snapped. And I believe that's exactly what happened because what I was told is that even on his way to her job to get her, he was praying to God for him not to do something like that. Hmm. And inevitably, he still did it. Hmm. Well, yeah. if he if she was having sex with someone else, yes, that could have triggered something in him. Yes, you know, yes. particularly in his emotional state where he yes. was. Yes, I'm not yes. excusing what he did, it, it, but I'm glad you said that because you took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah, he's not excusing what he did, but he, something's going on there that was very, very strong yep. emotionally for him yep. uh, to deal with, um, yep. and uh, maybe just couldn't handle it. Uh, and then once he did it, you know, he knew it was wrong before going to do it. He said he prayed about before he went there to pick her up. And then uh, when it, when it, whatever caused the act to happen uh, at the moment that it happened, now he's got shame. He's Now he's got to oh, yeah. run away from this thing, and he oh, can't yeah. run away from it. And as you said, you can't put back. It's an irrevocable decision. And when you kill somebody, oh, it's irrevocable from that point. That's it. And so now he's uh, now he's being confronted with a second reality with what does he do with his own life? Yeah. And it's, you know, it's evil that has captured basically his heart. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Nothing but the devil. Yeah. Nothing but the devil. You know, there's an interesting thing that I discovered one time about scripture where it talks about the book of life. And in both instances where it talks about the book of life, it says, um, uh, that the names were, don't blot my name or erase my name from the book of life. And it's, it's interesting because from a religious point of view, we want our names to be written in the book of life. And from a God's perspective, as I understand from scripture, once we are created, because he is the creator, so every time a human being is created, he immediately puts them into the book of life just because they've been created. You're created, you're right. a baby, you're born, you get, you get written into the book of life. And then the only question that has to happen in terms of an exercise of our free will is, do we agree with him, do we get connected with him, or do we make choices in our life to get blotted out of the book of life? Because right. he puts us in there to begin with. That's us, uh, it's up to us to stay connected with that. Right. Or even get connected deeper than that with him or to take ourselves out of that. And I don't right. necessarily think our behavior necessarily takes us out. And I wouldn't say necessarily that by your brother murdering somebody or even committing suicide takes us like takes him out of the book of life. It's there's something there we don't understand as to what because uh, Jesus told us that of the 99 sheep if one left, he'd go after yeah. the one and yeah. bring it back. <clears throat> and we don't understand what's happening spiritually behind all of that. And right. the, the enemy caused him to do the thing, or motivated him to do it, and he took those action steps. He knows they were wrong. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> we're trying to uh, make sense of it all, and, and make sense of it all in a, in a world that's kind of contradictory and paradoxical in many ways. Yeah. Um, so the, uh, <clears throat> the thought then became to me was that this had to have had this deep emotional effect on you, Oh, yeah. And with this deep emotional effect that it had on you, how could you help other people not do what your brother did? 
Um, for me, I believe I believe the calling on film. So not me just being my brother's keeper with my brother, but just to my fellow man, to mm-hmm. everybody that has the opportunity to to view a film of mine or what have you. I, I think you know we all have certain callings. I'm not you know I don't think my calling is standing on the street um, with a megaphone. You mm-hmm. know. Uh, screaming about Bible and going to hell and nothing against those because yeah I think we all you know we all are here to to uh, win souls for Christ or or share the gospel what have you I think mine is through film um, that's that's my brother's keeper uh, taking care of, you know everybody that has the opportunity uh, to see the film what makes your film different um I would like to say what makes my film different. Um, the Bible talks about nothing, you know, everything under the sun we've seen. Uh, I, I can't quote the exact scripture or what have you. But I would like to think what's different about my film is that that it is not just a, a good film or good idea. I would like to say a spirit-filled film. Um, and, and what's different, I, I believe that most folks that have watched it, that, you know, they can tell, or the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit connects with them. Um, is it? You know, is it going to be up for the Oscars or any awards? Probably not. It'd be nice, but um, that's what makes it different. It's different in the sense that uh, it speaks to this particular film, especially Thomas. Speaks to the heart where a lot of people are now, and, and I was one of them. The story is not necessarily about me, but the story itself, making him famous to him is Jesus Christ, of course. But it's, the story is about a guy that desired to be rich and famous. That would be me. That'd be a lot of men in this world today that desire to be rich and famous or to have approval and realize that, you know, through unexpected events that, that at the end of the day, we're here to make God famous. And people say, well, God is famous. No, God is not famous. The Kardashians are famous. I'm not knocking the Kardashians. I don't know them from a can of paint. Um, you know, all these celebrities are famous, but, and it appears that they're more famous than Jesus Christ in, in the world we live in. So that's what makes this film different is that it speaks to, a lot of people wanting to be famous, but that's not the end all be all because we're all leaving here. Our objective is to make Jesus Christ famous. That's true. You know, about 50 years ago, John Lennon from the Beatles oh, yeah. um, famously said, we're more famous than Jesus Christ. He, he, <laughs> I literally, he made that statement. Yeah. Uh, later, he was he was killed himself. Um, yep. And, uh, you know, people do think that way. Mr. Kardashians yep. and so forth. And it was Solomon who said there's nothing new under the sun. Yep. And that was the expression I think you were relating to before. So we're going to need to uh, think about um, what is it about the film in a minute or two uh, that um, was uh, reaching out to people's lives that can transform them by giving them a, a better connection or a desire for connection with God their Father. And there's only one way, as we both know, that you can have that connection with God the Father, and that is through His Son. But why would you even have the desire to have that connection with God the Father anyway? Why would you? And you would want to know because the love that he has for them. And that's what I'm yeah. sure your film is, is going to be bringing Oh, yeah. Out. Yeah. Cornelius has shared with us that he wanted to be rich and famous. And I understand that feeling of we want to be rich and famous. I wanted to be rich and famous too in my life. I wanted to be a successful businessman and I wanted to make millions of dollars and that was sort of my goal in my life in high school and college and growing up in that way. And then when I reached the point where I retired from financial services industry and God moved me into media and I see myself as a storyteller, I said, I know it's in the Father's heart to protect 
provide and to mentor. And growing up, I never really wanted to be a teacher. I had a low opinion of teachers when I was growing up. Now I have a very, very high opinion of teachers because teachers are so important because it's always in the heart of God the Father to teach people about life, to teach them things about, it's your legacy comes from teaching, teaching my children, teaching my grandchildren. The mission statement of the Father's Heart Talk Show is bringing the hearts of the fathers to the children and to the children to their fathers, or else I'll smite the land with a curse. A couple of weeks ago, the Lord showed me what the curse was. The curse was fatherlessness. The absence of fathers and families, the absence of fathers in society, and all the seven mountains of influence, fathers are nowhere to be seen, and they're not mentoring the next generation. And so there's, there's a hole there that the enemy fills with lies, and into those lies come fear, and people running helter-skelter out of fear because they don't have fathers there showing them the love of God the Father. So tell us a little bit about how your film reaches out in a way that can be transformative in people's lives and that can connect them to the heart of God the Father. That's, um, you, you hit on a lot of the points of the film that uh, not just a desire to, to be rich and famous, but the desire, um, once you realize that God's desires for us to serve, and a lot of people think of just service being um, for the uneducated or, you know, or the poor, but there's so much richness in serving and you talk about connecting the heart of the father. That's what God, Jesus Christ came here to serve people. Um, you know, he, obviously he's, he's God in the human, in, in, in the human form or flesh walking the face here. He could have everything he ever wanted or what we think, but he came here to serve and, and our, and in the film, uh, the main guy, the main character who life comes tumbling down, he finds himself in a homeless shelter serving and realizes that, you know, serving these people here at the homeless shelter that has that have essentially nothing, uh, you know, is is more, you know, more fulfilling than the life he previously had. And, and, it's, and it's very much like, you know, much like, you know, the heart of our father, who is God. Mm -hmm. Um, some people serve from the perspective of works again, that they're trying right. to do something for God, right. as, as opposed to living their life with Him. Right. And living your life with Him, you end up serving. Right? Yep. I yep. mean, uh, I don't see myself, or it wasn't my original intention in my mind consciously to serve um, my family, my wife and children, but I love them, and out of love for them, I wanted to be with them. And I effectively was serving them without even intending to serve them. Yes. And that's, them. yes. And the main character, I think that's what he got out of it. That he, I don't think he was serving at the homeless shelter uh, from a work-based mindset, but just because of what he was doing, you know, not only did he love it, and mm -hmm. I think he, he realizes that this is what, you know, this is the life of the father. This is what he loves for us to do. And, and you get so much joy out of it anyway, you know? Mm-hmm. So when is the film coming out? Uh, September 15th. Uh, okay. September 15th. It'll About be in all the key, key cities. Yeah, a month away. Key cities in North Carolina. And we hope that uh, definitely has the potential to uh, spread like wildfire. It's a very good film. Uh, we have a lot of um, talented actors uh, that work 
on major motion pictures and TV shows. They're just not stars, but they, you know, they have a heart for God. They're, they're believers and they lend their talent, um, you know, to projects like this when they get an opportunity, mm-hmm. um, you know, just to be a part of uh, Kingdom Stories as well. Is it, uh, I'm assuming it's an independent film, right? It is an independent film, yes, yeah. sir. And uh, my wife and I, uh, we have one of these passes that we can go to as many film movies as we can in the movie theaters. And right. uh, we often go to a movie theater on a Monday night or a Tuesday night, Phantom Events. Yeah. Is, is, yeah. A, is a group that puts out a lot of independent films. Many yep. of them are Christian films, but not all of them. Uh, but they are independent. Uh, yes. And their showings, and they only show like Monday or Tuesday uh, because to go into the films and because there's no advertising about them. Um, right. <clears throat> so how is it that you intend to uh, advertise, let people know that the film is coming out? other than our, our show today and, and other things you're doing? Uh, word of mouth uh, shows, uh, these type of radio shows, what have you, um, Some hopefully some uh, news network broadcast TV shows, what have you, but primarily word of mouth. We also have uh, been trying to establish some relationships with a lot of the major churches in some of those areas, you know, big and small churches alike, just sure. to get the word out. Um, in fact, uh, because it is a faith-based film, um, as far as marketing and advertising purposes, um, you're going to do your best by getting it out amongst the body of Christ. You asked earlier, how is it different? The difference between our film as well is that it speaks to the believer, but it also speaks to the unbeliever. Another reason why I, believe, why I know I've been called to do this, because in, in today's society, Tom, a lot of people are walking away from church, but people will go to the theater. People will watch TV. In this film, um, it, it doesn't beat you over the head with the Bible, but it's uh, doctr- doctrinally sound or what have you. And we also believe that the Holy Spirit, because of the message, will resonate with the unbeliever as well. Mm-hmm. Well, this this show that we have, the Father Saw Talk Show, is uh, on a secular radio station uh, called Secular. I love that. And um, I never intended for it uh, to be religious, but I always wanted it to be spiritual and based upon Bible and and, uh, scriptural principles about life. Because if you really want somebody to understand how to live life, they have to understand truth. And there's only one place you can get the truth, and that's the scripture. And there's only one place to yep. understand really how to live life, and that's what God tells us in His Word. If you can't understand Absolutely. the Word or not, or if you're estranged from the Word of God, you're estranged from truth. If you're estranged yep. from the Word of God, you don't you don't know and nor can appreciate experientially the love that God has for you. And once you understand how much God loves for you, I've been driven more in the last ten years of my life into the Word of God than I ever have in my life before. And I'm not a religious person, but I understand the truth that's there. And every day I can understand more and more and more because there's more and more communication that goes on, even just in the little things, like finding out what Cornelius's name means, which means horn, <laughs> right? And and studying different things. And then and then God perks or, or, or gives me little downloads every day to open right. my eyes up to certain things uh, that happened during the day that they become part of my life that I could speak into and uh, or he's speaking to me about them. And so nothing that we have, Cornelius, can we impart to someone else if God doesn't first impart to us. Right. So it has to be imparted to us first, then we can impart it to others. And and uh, as a result of that impartation to others, encourage them and sort of like uh, fan the flame of their desire 
to receive what God has. Most of the things that I see in people's life that are just, um, um, I should say bothers me, it's probably not the right word, but I see happening is that many people don't put themselves in a position to receive what God has for them. They don't want, right. they, they resist receiving the love of God. It's the enemy's trick. It's the enemy's trick to uh, put barriers between us and the love of God the Father. It's the enemy's trick to teach us that the Lord, God is uh, going to punish us. It's the enemy's trick to te- tell us a lie that say, well, God did that when he didn't have anything to do with it at all. Right, and, right. Uh, and accuse God of doing things when God didn't do it. And, and to bring through the lies, bring fear. And fear is a separator. You know, as I understand scripture, and I began to, under, to read it and get more understanding of it. We were never designed to fear anything. God didn't design us that way. I mean, if you, you go back into the Garden of Eden, uh, man, as God created man, was not designed to understand evil. He wasn't designed to understand good and evil. That's why God told him, right. don't eat of the tree of good and evil. God, Adam, which is really the word that God used in Scripture for the man, the woman, Adam, Adam, was created to only understand good. Right. That was by design. He violated God's design by eating of the tree so he could understand good and evil. He wasn't designed to understand evil. He couldn't handle the evil. That's, that started the, the road down to corruption. And, and he forfeited the dominion to Satan. Uh, these, these are things that we're still dealing with us to this very day and in yes. our lives. Uh, and the word media, that's another word, media, right? It comes from meads, M-E-M-E-D-E-S, meads. And meads is uh, the Persians and the Medes. These were empires. The Persian mm-hmm. Empire, the Medes Empire. And it was, one of the names for Satan was Prince of the Power of the Air. Mm-hmm. Prince of the Power of the Air in the uh, first and second heavens, not the third heavens. But that's has to, where media comes from. He's the Prince of the Power of the Air. He's promoting fear through um, the radio stations, the TV stations, all the oh, yeah. major news outlets. He's promoting fear. And through that fear, he's separating us from the love of God the Father. And your movie... And my, the show, the, the Father's Heart talk show, uh, your movie, Making Him Famous, the Brothers Keepers line, these movies, and these are all um, expressions to overcome fear yes. and to draw people back into the love of God, to yep. say that God is creator, God is father, God is your father, and he loves you, and he wants to spend time with you. So share with the audience in the next few 30 seconds or so, how can they uh, get in touch with you? Do you have a website? Do you have ways of means for uh, people to uh, access you personally yes. and also about the movie? Yes. Uh, makinghimfamousmovie.com. Uh, the information will be there as far as uh, the select theaters. Um, you could also find me on Instagram, Facebook, Cornelius Muller. That's M-U-L-L-E-R. Um, CorneliusMullerProductions.com is the other website. Um, so those are the you know ways you can find us. And you'll notice on our website, you know, this is not our last movie. We'll be going to production for another movie, um, Against All Odds, another faith-based film. Um, this is definitely a movie you want to see. We talk about all the major Christian films that have been in theaters that have done extremely well. Mm-hmm. This film here in North Carolina, this ranks up there with it. We need your support. Please come on out bring a friend. Okay. 
Maybe Papa Tom will act in one of your movies in the future. Papa Tom, I got you on the next one. <laughs> Cornelius, good talking to you. <laughs> you too. Thank you so much.